0: Good morning. As you now know, my name is Brent Strobel. Um, this morning we'll be looking at a scripture passage from the Gospel of Luke. If you'd like to follow along, now is the time to get out your Bibles or follow along on the screens. I'll be reading from the New International Version, Luke chapter 4, 18 through 21. Luke four, eighteen through 21. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Good
1: morning. In a moment, I'm going to invite our speaker for the day, uh, Christine Nakano, to come on up and give us the word. Uh, but before she comes up here, I wanted to introduce her a little bit and say a couple of words. She's going to be do a, doing a longer introduction uh, herself, uh, but I wanted to tell the story of how she came into my life, into the life of this church. Uh, back in the fall sometime, uh, I guess we had a mutual friend that I didn't uh, know about, and uh, she was sort of, um, uh, this friend had emailed me and said, hey, there's a, a pastor that I'd like you to meet. Her name is Christine. Around that same time, Christine had been looking for a church, she and her family, and they saw that there was a new pastor coming, and so she came and she sort of visited us and checked us out, and then we got together. And she shared her story with me a little bit. She was the uh, pastor Christian formation at a, a local another local church, and there was a transition there and so she was not there anymore and As we sat down and we were talking, my sense for her and sort of my Uh, pastor instinct for her was she really, she and her family needed a place to sort of land and a place, uh, a family that she can sort of hang out with for a while. So given that she uh, is a pastor, I invited her to start attending our church and invited her to start attending our staff meetings. So she's been doing that since uh, the end of last year. And it's been really fun hanging out with her, uh, receiving uh, being on the receiving end of uh, her keen insights and her uh, experiences as a pastor. And, uh, you know, I, part of why I love being in the covenant, this denomination, is because we get to have not just male pastors but female pastors as well. And I just love that. And I have to love that because I have three sisters and four daughters. Um, but it's just been a delight to have Christine with us, and as as she uh, was hanging out with us more and more, I began to sense that this person is a gift from God, and I started thinking about how she might be more further incorporated into our uh, church body, and uh, over the last couple of months, I've been thinking, you know, Julie, Pastor Julie is transitioning out of the children's ministry role into a more executive role. And, uh, we really want to hire, uh, just a solid, awesome, amazing children's ministry director. But we don't have the time to do that and to have our uh, program be just kicking by the fall of uh, 2013. And so my brain started going and I thought, you know, what we need is an interim person. We need somebody that we can have for one year who can look at the whole ministry and really take it to the next level, do it with freedom and uh, be sort of a third party person to do it. That's what interims are able to do so that that revamp ministry can be handed off to Uh, a more permanent uh, children's ministry director. And guess who came to my mind? Christine. And so we've been talking about that, and then I started talking about that idea with um, our elders. And uh, just this week, uh, we made the decision to hire as an interim children's ministry director. And so I'm happy to have her on board uh, for a year. And uh, um, you may have read about it already in the uh, the loop, but she's going to be sharing about her story a little bit and uh, God's word with us today. Come on up, Christine.
2: Thank you. Um, actually, Peter had given me the opportunity to preach the very last Sunday in December, and that was the last time I think I stood before you to deliver a sermon And I struggled because I didn't know how to introduce myself at that time since it was in the period of transition. We had only been here a handful of times at that point. But now that we are declaring ourselves part of this community, I did really sense um, that I wanted to share a little bit more about myself and tell you some of my background and some of my experiences. Uh, My extended family is based in Hawaii, Hawaii. But my dad was in the Air Force, so I spent most of my life traveling all over the U.S. I think before I even started school, I had lived in Ohio, Massachusetts, Florida, Alabama, and Hawaii. And then second through fifth grade, I lived in a very tiny town called Alamogordo, New Mexico. In the southern part of New Mexico, some of you know of it. If you know about space, I think the person who found Pluto was there. And, um, but... But it was there that I think God began to ignite in me a love for the Spanish language and a passion for the Latino American culture. And so that is very much at the core of something about me. And I think it started there, and then we moved to California. I went to high school in Northern California in the Bay Area, and then I went to college in Irvine. And again, started studying and hanging out with Spanish-speaking people, and so I double majored in comparative literature and in Spanish. And my whole life growing up, I would always wanted to be a teacher. And so pretty soon after graduation, I, I started working in education. I taught English as a second language. And then for one year, I was a Spanish immersion teacher. We taught Spanish and English equally for fourth graders. And it was... It was a great joy. It was a gift from God because it was something I'd always wanted to do and then when I did it, I realized this isn't really what I wanted to do <laughs> so I could say that I did it. Um, but at the same time, simultaneously, God was leading me towards vocational ministry and a little bit reluctantly to be quite honest. And, and actually, I had not really embraced my Asian American identity so much yet until I got to college. But in God's sovereignty, he started leading me to be involved with a ministry called Asian American Christian Fellowship. And it's a college campus ministry that reaches out primarily to Asian American students. So if you're familiar with InterVarsity or Campus Crusade, very similar, but with the targeted population. And so I was working by day teaching Spanish and English to little kids. And then by night, I was over on the campus teaching about the gospel and Christian leadership to Asian-American students. And I did that for a while and it just was not sustainable. And eventually, I really um, spent some time in discernment and it felt like God was leading me to full-time vocational ministry with Asian-Americans. And I didn't get it, but I followed the lead. And then sure enough, in in his blessing, there was another ministry, part of my parent organization, that ministered to Asian-Americans in South America. So I got to train up my college students and equip them for ministry for short-term missions in places like Brazil and Paraguay and Argentina, and it was great. And it was during that time that I worked for AACF that I then got a call to come up here to Seattle. The University of Washington needed a staff worker, and I thought, I've never been there. I like to travel. I've been in California a really long time. I'll go there. And so I flew up to Seattle and absolutely fell in love with the city and the people. And now I never want to leave. Um, Also, part of that reason, I met my husband. He was an alum from AACF UW, and he's a native, local, born and raised and grew up in Kirkland. And so we got married, and through his encouragement, he said, Christine, I really think the next step for you is to, to go to seminary. And so I had the good fortune of being able to attend Fuller Northwest and complete my Master of Divinity degree here. And during that time, I, had, I was required to do two church internships. Now I have to tell you, up till then, I had been doing campus ministry and short-term missions. It is exciting, it moves, it's fast, but it's so funny. I thought, oh, the church, it's so slow. It's kind of a little boring. But I had been a part of a church plant in California, so again, you know, lots of momentum, lots of... Be- I hadn't really got to experience church like you all experience it here. But my first internship was at Japanese Presbyterian Church, a church that's over 100 years old, rich history, faithful followers of Christ. It's the church where my husband grew up. And I fell in love with the church. I realized there's something very special about this intergenerational community of faith that has endured so much over these years and has been a testament and a light to so many people. And then I had the great privilege of doing my second internship at a church called Rainier Avenue Free Methodist Church in South Seattle. Again, a church that was over a century old, had gone through many transitions, had been on the verge of closing until the the core members there said, God is bringing the world to the Rainier Valley. Why in the world would we abandon what he's doing? We need to change the way that we do ministry to embrace the people that God has brought here. And to this day, it is the most vibrant, diverse church I've ever known. And at the same time, I got pregnant, and there were lots of other people sort of in our life stage. It was just a really good place for us to be as a family, and we stayed there for nine years, and I loved it. Um, During that time, I had Mia, who's now nine, and Zach, who's about to be seven. And I've served in a variety of roles in between having kids, but my last position there was as the Associate Pastor of Spiritual Formation. And I really thought that I had found my sweet spot. I I had no intention of ever leaving. But over the last couple of years, there's been tremendous change and lots of hardships. And quite to my surprise, last August, I was fired. I didn't see eye to eye with the pastor, and I had spoke up about some things, and there was some conflict, and I was let go. And I was devastated. We're still grieving deeply because to me being a pastor is not just having a job in a church we were very much in relationship with the community there and my heart um our friendships just the relationships it's been it was just a deep deep loss but God in his good grace led us here to Mercer Island Covenant within walking distance from where I live I never would have guessed And we have found you to be so warm and so welcoming. And you have helped minister to us in our time of grief. And we are very, very grateful. And things that I didn't even know that I really, really wanted, like going to church in my neighborhood, where I run into so many of you at QFC now, and where I've been able to invite many of you over to my house spontaneously because we just live up the street, and where my kids can see other kids that are Christians that go to their school. These are great things that have come from our time here in this short period for which I'm really grateful. So thank you. And I'm very grateful to Pastor Peter. As a fellow pastor, um, He really did recognize that even though I was in pain and I did need to experience a lot of healing, my heart was still very much in being involved and that I have to be using my gifts in order to be feeling fulfilled. And so it was a great privilege. Thank you to the leadership team who said, yes, she can come sit in on the staff meetings. And thanks for allowing me to take part in in little ways in in participating in the ministry around here. Um, It's been great. And I wanted to say um, that when I was preparing for this morning's sermon, I had no idea at the time, even though we had been talking about me coming on staff, we hadn't really decided that I'm starting officially tomorrow. (laughs) And um, so I just wanted you to know, this passage that was read to us from Brent is the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry. And I just thought, oh, how cool. It's kind of my inaugurational (laughs) sermon today. It was not planned intentionally by me, but I thought that was pretty cool. In fact, when we were talking about scheduling who was going to preach when, I volunteered for this Sunday. I wanted to preach this Sunday in particular because tomorrow is Earth Day. And in sharing a little bit about who I am with you, I wanted to tell you that over the past couple of years, God has been doing a work in my heart. And he has really given me a conviction that the church needs to be taking the lead in taking care of this great gift that God has given to us. But I know it's controversial, and I know that's going to get us in a lot of different places. And as I was trying to prepare, and I did, I worked on this really hard, and then I was like, I just don't have the sense that today is the day to talk about that. So I'm hoping I get to get a chance later and you'll hear about it. But just if you would indulge me, just since I've brought it up already and I thought, I'm just going to do a little commercial plug. How about just the application for that little part of today? If you would consider bringing a travel mug with you each Sunday, that would reduce the amount of cups that we need to purchase and the cups that we throw away. Okay? I mean, as my cup says, it to save this planet. It's the only one with chocolate. Okay. And that's what I run on next to the Holy Spirit. So could you please consider bringing a travel mug with you to church from now on? So I was sitting and I thought, okay, God, if I'm not supposed to be preaching about that, amen. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys, we just got recycle bins for the classrooms. Thanks to Phyllis. So thank you. Um, I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to talk about? And I really felt impressed to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God. And so that's, that's where we landed, okay? And so I was led to this passage that was read to us from Luke, the one in which it says that Jesus, he went to the synagogue, he got this scroll from Isaiah, and he read from it this passage in Isaiah 61 that says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then this very interesting thing. He rolls up the scroll, he sits down, and he says, as he's looking out at everyone, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I think this is really significant. If we back up a little bit, we see that this is an event that is in a series of events that Luke has been presenting to us. It begins with his baptism. In chapter 3, it says that Jesus himself was baptized. And when he was baptized, the Spirit of God came upon him like a dove. And the voice of God was heard saying, This is my beloved Son, And then from there, it says that the Spirit then led Jesus out into the wilderness for a time of testing. I think a time of preparation. And it was after he came out of that time that then we then read he entered into the synagogue and he officially commenced his public ministry. But all along, Luke is talking about how the Spirit of God came upon him. The Spirit of God led him. The Spirit of God is now anointing him and he's saying, today this is fulfilled. This is talking about me. And so the question I ask is, why is Luke so intent on making this connection between the Holy Spirit and Jesus? And I believe that I'm lost. <laughs> um, I believe that he's doing this um, in a way to help us understand that we need to realize Jesus is both fully human as well as being fully God. And I think that there's a tendency among many Christians, particularly here in our culture, to overemphasize the deity of Christ and to not really think. We give lip service and say Jesus was fully human also, but we don't really think about what the implications of that is. And this is why it's significant, because my role was as the pastor of formation. My job was, was basically to help people become more Christ-like. So when I had to think about, what do I need to do to help people act like Jesus? You know, somebody invented those little wristbands with WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? That was some Christian formation pastor's attempt to say, here's a reminder, whenever you're in a situation, think to yourself, what would Jesus do and do the same? And most of our Christian education programs are about study who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, and then imitate him. But if we believe that Jesus did what he did because he was God, then we're set up for failure because we're not God. We don't have supernatural powers. How can we be expected to do what he did? He was God. That's why he could heal. That's why he could forgive people. That's why he could do all of these things. Talk about scripture at age 12, right? He was God. I can't do that. I'm human. But if we think about it, we think when Philippians, it said Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. Yes, he was fully God. But he said, I am going to come and dwell among you. I am going to so identify with you so that you know that I can empathize with every temptation that you have. That I know how to suffer with you. That I have experienced life the way you experience. He chose to empty himself of those powers. That's significant. And I think we don't talk about it very often because it's kind of scary and it almost seems heretical. What are you saying, Christine? This is Jesus who is fully God. I read some stuff on the internet that said, that's absolutely, you know, when it says, you will do greater things than I. Like that, you know, that's all figurative. But I believe that the reason why we have this passage and we have this, this modeling of Jesus saying, I too am reliant on the anointing of the Holy Spirit is one because at this point he has said, I am forsaking all my divinity so that I can be like you. And so he's reliant on the Holy Spirit himself. That's why he spends so much time with the Father. That's why he's, 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 he's doing all these things. He needs God to be able, or he needs that spirit to empower him to do this healing and preaching that he has been called to do here. But I think that the second reason is that it shows us, it models to us how to be dependent so that we too can do this, that we too can appropriate this Holy Spirit that has been made available to us. And so why why does God do this? why Why do it this way? Why come and empty himself of divinity? Why give us this charge of taking over and doing this and, and it, it comes to this this really interesting thing that we notice in this passage that if you compare what Luke quotes Jesus as reading in Luke four with the original text in isaiah sixty one you 'll see that Jesus actually stops midway through a sentence he says. I've come, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, period. But in Isaiah 61, it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And I think it's very intentional that he stops short of reading the second part because if he had continued, he would not have then later been able to say, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Because that day that he read that, he inaugurated the first part and said, yes, the year of the Lord's favor has begun. Some of us call this the age of grace. Some people say this is the year of jubilee, figuratively saying this is the time of salvation. This is the time of God's reign. But there's that on the one hand, and then there's this other day that we look forward to when Jesus will come again. And before he establishes his kingdom forever, we have to go through a period of what is the day of vengeance the day of judgment, the day of reckoning, the day of the Lord, which is often spoke about in scriptures. And that hasn't happened yet. And so basically what he's saying is, I'm inaugurating this ministry. There's going to be this time of judgment, but there's this time in between. And that's the time in which we're still living. And some theologians call that the now and the not yet. That's the in-between time in which we're living. And so I think I have a timeline that will show us that he inaugurates this ministry. We get to experience some of God's kingdom now, but not fully. And then there's gonna be this day of reckoning, which will be a whole nother sermon. And then after that, we will experience his kingdom in the full. During this in-between time, this now and not yet time, we get to experience God's kingdom because Jesus died, and rose from the dead. And we know that because of his bodily resurrection, we have hope that he can triumph over any horrible thing that we see happening now. And he's given us his spirit, and he's taught us how to live, and how to act, and how to forgive, and how to do all these things. And you know, every time we act in accordance with the will of God, we are allowing God's kingdom to penetrate into earth today. And so, yes, there's all this good stuff for us to appropriate, and yet we all know all too well, particularly this week, that we still live in a world ridden with violence, ridden with demonic spirits, physical ailments, and gross injustices. We live in a place where people suffer. Eight-year-old boys are suffering from deadly bombs. We live in a world today where there are explosive accidents that destroy small towns And harmful poisons that are put into our mail, and torrential floodwaters that swallow up our cars. I mean, it's crazy. But there's a day that's coming when that will be no more. And in this in between time, church, I want to tell you, we are not meant to just sit around and wait for the world to come to an end. What would be the purpose in that? Rather, I believe that Jesus inaugurated his ministry, rallied his disciples to then continue that ministry after he ascended, and then now that work has been given to us that we have this privilege of ushering in God's kingdom in this in-between time. And it's not something heavy. It's not a burden. It's not some guilt trip that he's laying on us. Hey, this is what I want you to do. This is an invitation. It's a gift. This is something we get to do not have to do. And it's so cool. Can I just tell you, it is it is the most exciting thing that we could be doing. That is what we are meant to do, is to, to love God and to love others and to see his kingdom break in into this world today. Now, some of you might be thinking, I can't do that. That's crazy. I'm not Praying for healing, and i I don't have it in me to proclaim good news to people, and you know I can't encourage the poor and blah blah blah, you know what you're right, you can't, but guess what god's got a, an answer for everything He says that's why I've given you my holy Spirit people. I don't expect you to do this on your own. You're not qualified. You're right. You'd mess it all up. But if you live like Jesus did and you were dependent and you recognize that the Holy Spirit of the Sovereign God is upon you, then you could do it, right? Then you could do what he has asked us to do. It says in Luke 11, 11 through 13, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So ask him. Ask him for more filling of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, Jesus is just about to ascend, and he says, on that occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, and this is Luke again, Luke's really into the Holy Spirit, he gives them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and said, so Lord, is this this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Then wait for it to come. And then, then it gets really interesting. Then you get to be a part of this work that God is doing. This work that that God has given us. That now we get to be the ones to go proclaim good news to the poor. To encourage people. We're the ones that get to pray for healing of body and soul and mind. We're the ones that get to go challenge the injustices. and, And to help set people free who are being oppressed. There was a day not very long ago when I was still in my role at the church. When I met with a woman in the morning, she was really distraught. Her husband was in the construction business. They had been devastated by the recession. She herself was going through just a period. She was later in life and still trying to figure out what her calling was and what she was doing. And they had lost their home and all kinds of stuff. And she came to meet with me, and I sat there, and I listened And I tried to think, what is God doing in her life? And and prayed with her and encouraged her and just felt heavy in my spirit because of all the stuff she had been contending with. And then right after she left, I got a call saying, please come to the hospital. A member of our church was literally about to die in any moment. And this was an older woman from Laos that I administered to. And as I was driving over there, I was a little bit nervous. It was a Friday and I think I was the only pastor there. And so I got, I got the call and I said, okay, I'm going to go over there. And I know that the room is going to be full of people, friends and relatives, and I'm pretty sure that there will be cultural expectations that I'm not going to be aware of. And so I was trying to think what, what had I learned about the Lao culture and, and I wasn't sure that anybody there would actually speak English because I was trying to find someone from our church who could come with me and, and I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? And, and, and I've never been with someone literally about to die and I thought, wow, the pressure of how do I pray what would be the best thing for her what would be the best thing for her family not all of them believers and I was getting ready and got out of my car and I was making my way to go find her room at the hospital and as I'm going through the lobby I hear somebody call my name and I turn around it's another guy from church and he's like hey Christine what are you doing here and I I tell him it turns out his sister had just been brutally attacked and she was severely injured and he's like I'm here to see my sister he says would you come and visit her after you're done with this other family and I said sure I'll come and I came and I, I sat and I listened to her and I prayed with her. And I was driving home that day and I thought, Whoa, what a day. It had been so full. And It had been really, really heavy. Crazy, crazy intense. And I was tired. But I had this really weird sensation of feeling good. Not good, happy good, but satisfied, grateful, privileged, I felt really honored because I knew that something holy had happened that day. Nothing that I did on my own strength. I mean, it was daunting. I thought, gosh, this world is messed up. There's just havoc in the lives of all these people. And, and really, I think the reason why it struck me as so strange was my tendency is to get overwhelmed and just say, God, what is up with all this? And to get upset and to, to just feel like everything's worthless you know, I can't do anything, and people just, you know, all, it's like one after another, people are falling, and I thought, what in the world? It's so easy to get depressed. But I felt like God had used me in a supernatural way that day, and it was really cool. And you know what? You are invited to experience this very same thing as well. It's not just the role of the pastors. It is the work of the church This week we've heard a lot about Boston, and I think it's been great. We've been championing that community, which has been commented upon for its strength, for its character, for its spirit as a city. And I had heard some commentators say, you know, it's been horrible all that's been happened, but the good that has been the result is that the city has really rallied together, that the community has shown their best side, that they have really come out and cared for one another in tremendous ways. And I think that's great and something to be celebrated. The church, we too are a community, a community of strength, of character, of spirit and it's not just rah rah spirit because yay we're Boston. Community we are a community filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The supernatural God. And we are living in an incredible time. A period in which people desperately need to hear good news. A period of time in which there are people who need to be set free from demons. There are people who need to be encouraged in the midst of immense destruction and fear and hopelessness. They need to be healed in their bodies, in their minds, in their souls. And God has anointed us, you, me, together, to do this kingdom work. And he's anointed us to have this be fulfilled today in your hearing of these very words So don't just sit around. Don't just sit around and wait for all the bad to go away. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come, come Jesus. Don't just sit around and wait for things around here at Mercer Island Covenant to settle down. Oh my gosh, there's all this change going on and I can't take it. I just gotta wait to see how it all settles out before I figure out where I'm gonna. Don't wait. There's no time for that. There are too many people that need to hear the good news, that need to be prayed for, that need to be encouraged. So don't just sit around and wait. Don't think that this is a task for someone else for another time. But rather, church, would you pray after me these words? Pray it together with conviction. Repeat. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. name. Lord, let your kingdom come. come. You are not praying with conviction. (laughs) Let your kingdom come. Lord, let your kingdom come come. and your will be done done. on earth earth. Today. Today. today, today as it is in heaven.